and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Malin, and I'm so excited to be here with you. We have such a great episode for you today. We're sharing how handwork can help you slow down and unplugged in this rushed society. Handwork is not only fun, but has a variety of health benefits that we'll share with you today. We'll also share what we're loving now, ideas for organizing in the junk drawer in your sewing room. We all have one and how to help the people and animals affected by the Australian wildfires. Then we chat with Monique Jacobs. It's a conversation you don't want to miss. So let's dive in. So I'm here with Doris Brunette, the editor of Quilt Sampler magazine, to talk about handwork. So we've seen handwork becoming more and more popular over the years, even though it's been around for a long time. Um, But we just wanted to kind of mention why we think it's getting popular, the benefits of it, the different types, and then introduce a new product we have that we're very excited about. But Doris, why don't you start by telling us about your history with handwork? Sure. Um, I've, oh, I always have a handwork project in process, for one thing. Um, whether it's embroidery, it might be English paper piecing, hand applique, just something that I can work on, like, and take along if I know I'm going to be sitting in the waiting room of a doctor's office or something like that, or I'm not a very good passenger in a car <laughs> on long rides, so I like to have something to keep my hands busy. But I come from a long line of crafters and quilters. Uh, my mom did all kinds of crafts and sewing and sewed all of our clothes, and her mother and her aunt were also lifelong quilters and crafters. And I was really young when I learned to sew clothing, and my mom taught me how to cross-stitch, and I was instantly hooked. I loved cross-stitch. And I took it with me, like, everywhere. We went pretty much every Sunday. We would drive about an hour to go visit one or the other of our grandparents, and I loved having that, like, on the car trips Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, Not sure how I found room because I shared the back seat with my three brothers. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember very clearly sewing in the car on the way You are probably the only calm presence in the back seat. (laughs) Exactly, right. (laughs) Yeah. So then my mom did teach me when I was a teen to hand quilt. Um, I actually learned to hand quilt before I learned how to piece, which is kind of backwards. But (laughs) she taught me on a cheater cloth from Joann's. And then my second project with hand quilting is I took a vintage coverlet that my grandmother had given me. Um, It's like a woven, white woven coverlet. And I put backing and batting on it and hand quilted the whole thing. Wow. And it seems like it's a pretty unusual thing for a teen to do. Like, um, definitely was in the 80s. It probably is today, too. (laughs) Although I know a couple of teenagers myself that would sit and do something like that um, today. But But in hindsight, I also realized that those activities kept my hands occupied and kind of helped me ease my teenage angst, I guess. It was a (laughs) relaxing kind of thing. So I was practicing self-care without really being aware of it. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Doris. So you mentioned that handwork was kind of a coping mechanism for you. And so in recent years, we've seen handwork become really mainstream. And part of the reason we think it's so popular is because it's tied into that self-care and that mindfulness practice. And those are really buzzy words right now. (laughs) Um, So I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about how handwork plays into this idea of wellness. Yeah, well, we all know we live in a very rushed society. Everybody's in a hurry to get somewhere or move on to the next thing. And I'm as guilty of it 
myself as anybody Me else. Me too. Um, we're expected to always be multitasking and to be available via our electronic devices basically 24-7. These devices are great in so many ways, but the pressure of being constantly connected to them can be harmful to our well-being. Um, the results often added stress and anxiety and sometimes even fatigue and exhaustion. According to a Harris poll from 2019, 50% of women said that they often don't feel present in their daily interactions with people, which sounds really sad to me, but I also completely understand it and can identify with that. Yes. And 60% of them acknowledge that the less time they spend on their own well-being, the less they ultimately get done. Yeah, I can totally relate to those feelings, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can too. Like, as a creative person, uh, you you may use sewing or knitting or stitching to relax and kind of gain that life balance that may be missing otherwise. Like, how many times have you heard or even spoken the phrase, quilting is my therapy or knitting is my therapy? I think we hear that all the time. Like my mantra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So whether we're, like, consciously aware of it or not, we experience therapeutic effects from working on our creative projects and especially from doing handwork. So studies show it's a great way to just quiet the mind. So uh, in a 2013 survey of knitters, they reported that they had a wide range of psychological benefits from their craft. So they were experiencing relaxation, relief from stress, a sense of accomplishment, connection to tradition, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and enhanced confidence, as well as improved cognitive abilities. So that's that's a lot of benefits. That's, yeah. <laughs> and of course, crafts such as hand sewing, embroidery, and cross-stitch can provide the exact same effect. So just this idea of slowing down and focusing on a handwork project can just kind of lift the chaos of that day-to-day minutia and just quiet your thoughts. So the repetitive hand movements are really calming. Exactly. Handwork can allow you to turn off your brain and let your hands kind of take over those thoughts. Um, It does for me. It always has. Um, Your brain's focusing on following a certain order of steps when you're making something. So, and you know, you're following those steps in order to achieve a successful result. So whether you're consciously aware of it or not. And because the brain is focusing its energy on creating something, it has less Less energy to devote to any negative or ruminating thoughts that might be going through your head or worries about tomorrow or whatever. Yep. Yeah, so just working at a slower pace with your hands and focusing on your next stitch not only stimulates the brain, but also can help lower your blood pressure and improve your mood. So crafting can provide a much-needed break from our multitasking and our digital-centric lives. Slowing down and working with our hands helps to quiet some of that noise. So next time you have a few free minutes, we encourage you, instead of scrolling through social media or watching videos, why don't you pull out your craft of choice, whether it's quilting, beading, embroidery, or even coloring. I know for me, it's English paper piecing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just having that tactile kind of sensory engagement of working with your hands and that material and just kind of that working through each step in the creative process helps you savor those moments. So Doris, I know I mentioned I like to do English paper piecing. What kind of handwork is popular among quilters? Well, we've seen a lot of interest on social media and just feedback from our quilters um, online and uh, email and everything about the slow stitching movement um, in the last few years. 
and basically like the premise of the movement is returning to doing things by hand, such as hand quilting, often in the form of like big stitch or utility quilting, um, rather than quilting a project by machine. And just the calming effects of like slowing down and doing the doing that process by hand, um, how that can be cathartic. And I've tried meditating myself before and I stink at it. <laughs> so when I read all of this stuff about all of the research about how doing your crafting in that like is a form and basically has the same effects on your body as meditating, um, I was thrilled because yeah. <laughs> I've tried so many times right. and, and failed. It, so. Yeah, and I know when I'm in my sewing room, sometimes I lose track of time completely and I forget everything that's happening around yeah. me and even to look at my phone and yeah, yeah when exactly. you finally you could feel like you snap out of it a little bit when you walk out of yeah, your sewing space exactly, and you're back yeah. to real life <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you definitely feel more relaxed yes, when you walk back out yes. of it so um yeah cross stitch is, is once again as popular as it was like in the 80s and 90s for those of us that lived through the 80s and 90s <laughs> and remember that like it was huge i mean there were like stores and malls that were full of cross stitch mm-hmm. patterns and you know craft patterns and that so the quilters we hear from at APQ really love our wool applique and needle turn projects. Um, English paper piecing, traditional hand piecing, and embroidery are all popular methods of handwork right now, too. So it's kind of those old skills that are popular once again. So mm-hmm. I don't know that they ever completely went away, but no. um, there's a lot more younger people, I think, getting into yeah, it, Yeah, and I too. think it's getting a little more mainstream, and there's more exactly. just resources for learning these things and... Yeah, just getting more projects to choose from and people interested. So it's been great to see. So one of the reasons we wanted to talk about handwork today is because we have a brand new product coming out that relates to handwork. So Doris, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, I'd love to. I'm excited about this issue and I'm proud to have been a part of bringing it to our readers. It's called Handwork Happiness and goes on sale January 31st. Um, There's over 20 projects in the book and it does, there are... Uh, items in the book or features in the book that relate to the mindfulness um, meditative aspect that we're talking about and the, uh, includes all of the projects include all of the techniques that we've just listed. The chap- It's divided into chapters and wool applique, hand piecing and quilting, English paper piecing, embroidery and cross stitch and scattered throughout the issue are some stress relieving suggestions and calming practices that we've titled relax and recharge and peaceful prompts. So it's just kind of a little tidbits. And if you don't have time to stop and do the project, you might have time to stop and do those, mm-hmm. um, do those mindfulness prompts and get some benefit of it just as you're looking through and enjoying the pretty magazine. So at the beginning of each chapter, readers will find our suggestions for the best tools of the job. And we have tips for taking your project on the go. And there's a fun feature on big stitch quilting, which is a technique I'm personally excited to try more of in 2020. Yeah, I have a copy and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I just love the photography and all the extra info for people who may never have tried a technique before. Um, And I'm especially excited to learn more about hand piecing. It's a technique I've never tried, um, but there's some really fun projects in the issue and I'm excited to pick one out and get started on it. Yeah, I hope you really enjoy hand piecing. I love that you are always willing to challenge yourself with new techniques <laughs> and new projects. As anybody that follows you on social media um, can attest to that. So yes. I love your enthusiasm for trying things new. But I completed a quilt top that was completely hand pieced a few years ago. Um, mostly I did it on long car trips, sitting in waiting rooms, that sort of thing. So it's actually the quilt that is shown in Handwork Happiness as the background image behind my editor's letter. 
Um, it's still just a top, but I want to add needle turn applique borders to it. And I did take an applique class many, many years ago and did a small project or two, but my skills are really, really rusty. <laughs> so I'm starting a small version of Petal by Petal from the bookazine. Um, it's a queen size quilt in the bookazine, but in Handwork Happiness. But I think I'm going to try and do like one block and make it mm -hmm. up as a pillow just to get back into the groove before I tackle the borders for my quilt. Yeah, good idea. So, and thank you. It is a beautiful issue. So we really wanted to get across the kind of a calm, peaceful feeling with the whole look of the magazine. So, Thanks so much, Doris. So not only is handwork super fun, but it's also beneficial to our health. Um, so you can pick up a copy of Handwork Happiness bookazine at your local newsstands. It officially comes out January 31st, so uh, we're a few days away, but uh, hopefully you'll be able to find it. Uh, it's such a great magazine. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm back with Doris for What We're Loving, a segment where we share the trend, product, or person we're loving right now. So Doris, what are you loving right now? Well, as you know, I recently did a takeover on our All People Quilt Instagram and had a lot of comments, particularly on a post that I posted about a sewing desk makeover that I recently did, finished up um, in early January. And what I'm loving about it, I really loved the Fiskars tools that I used <laughs> to get help accomplish that project. And I've long been a fan of Fiskars. I've used the Fiskars rotary cutter, I think, since I began um, quilting. There's just something about that particular rotary cutter that's always been my favorite. But for this project, I used the Fiskars DIY precision tools, and we have some in the crafts lab here in the office. And they came and presented these uh, last fall at one point and gave us a set of them to use in the crafts lab. Um, but particularly for this project, I really liked the hand drill and the staple gun. I used both of those and I used tape measure as well. But um, what I liked about these two in particular, the hand drill is just what it sounds like. Uh, it's put, got like five different drill bits you can put in different sizes and you crank it by hand. So you don't plug it into anything. It's not charged or anything like that. And I was kind of surprised. I mean, it, you know, we were like, God, can this really drill through yeah. wood? I remember us thinking that when we were first looking at it. And it does. It works like a charm. Wow. It's like really smooth and you just have really good precise control in drilling the hole. I used it to drill new holes for the hinges um, because it's a drop, like drop side table. But they're both lightweight and super easy to use. And the other thing was the staple gun. And primarily because I have, I don't have a lot of strength in my hands and I've had issues with carpal tunnel in the past. So some staple guns can be really hard to use and you get that kickback and yep. your hand, you know, fatigue in your hands. And this one just works super smooth. I and mean, because it is so lightweight, um, I had no issues like that. So I'd recommend recommend them both. What were you using the staple gun for? Um, I have the back of it was unfinished but okay. the way it sits in my room the back is visible mm -hmm. so it's, it was just kind of a like a, one of those pieces of like I don't know corrugated yep. press board or something mm -hmm. not very attractive so I knew if I painted it like the rest of the table it wasn't it was still going to show and look kind of funny. So I took um, thin cork and covered it with fabric and stapled it onto the back so I can use it as a press board. Oh, good um, idea. But it's just like a fabric that matches, you know, kind of the color scheme in my room. So it's, it kind of hides away instead of being an, an eyesore in the middle of the room. So <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, if you visit our show notes, we'll post a link to a photo of Doris's sewing space and her new table that she kind of refashioned. Yeah, I'm loving it. So. Perfect. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks. 
Now I'm here with Elizabeth Stumbo, the art director of American Patchwork and Quilting for Get Organized, a segment where we give storage tips for your sewing space. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Lindsay. In a recent Facebook poll, over 80% of our readers admitted to having a junk drawer in their sewing room. So it's the drawer where we toss all of our notions that we don't have a home anywhere else for. It's easy to accumulate lots of notions and then just stash them away in a drawer where they can be quickly lost or forgotten. But today I have three storage ideas to help you organize those drawers in your sewing room that go beyond just the basic drawer dividers. I'm excited. I definitely have a junk drawer that I don't know what to do with. (laughs) Yep, I think we all do. (laughs) So the first solution is a magnetic tape strip, which you can purchase in a variety of widths and strengths so you can customize it to fit your specific drawers. Simply stick the adhesive side of the tape to the interior sides of your drawer. This space is often unused and overlooked. The magnetic tape can hold loose needles, pins, metal bobbins, clips, and other small metal notions that would otherwise just roll around loose in the bottom of your drawer. You can also cut the tape to the size of your cutting tools and place it in the bed of the drawer to keep the tools from slipping around as you open and shut the drawer. I just love this simple and inexpensive solution, Lindsay. That sounds so great. I love it. Yes. And then so the second solution we have is if you have a hard time finding and seeing everything in your junk drawer, consider purchasing a spice drawer insert. So the original purpose of one of these spice drawer inserts is to use it in your kitchen to store jars of spices horizontally and also at a slight angle inside your kitchen drawer. However, this works great in your sewing room as well for all of your notions. The slanted dividers of the spice drawer insert will keep items like spools of thread and small bottles of liquid visible and easy to reach. So keeping your thread in a drawer is also a great way to protect them from dust and the damaging effects of light. The slanted dividers will also keep small bottles of liquid from spilling in your drawer. I think this is a great solution. Yeah. And who would have thought to look in the kitchen for these things? <laughs> you never know where you're going to find stuff. Yeah. So the next one is actually an option that you use, you use most of the time to um, sort your paperwork in your home office. But file cabinets can also be extremely useful in a sewing room. So try storing your acrylic templates and rulers in individual hanging file folders. And if instructions were included with the ruler, be sure to also store those in the same folder. If you've made a test block using the ruler, you can include this as well, which would be super helpful. And hanging file folders are also a great way to store fabric panels and packages of fusible and interfacing. Yep, and I feel like we could come up with more solutions of things you could stick in there depending on how much space you have. So whatever kind of oddball things you need to get organized that don't fit in other places easily, this might be a good solution for that. Just stick them in there. So um, hopefully these simple solutions can help you conquer your junk drawers once and for all. Let's hope so. Thanks, Elizabeth. Now I'm here with Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. Today I'm doing something a little different for Quilting Changes Everything. I want to take some time to celebrate those in the quilting and sewing world who have been so generous in raising money for the bushfires in Australia. A large number of people have also been sewing and knitting to help comfort animals affected by the fires. As many of you probably know, the fires in Australia have been fueled by prolonged drought, which has resulted in over 18 million acres of burned land. These fires have had huge impacts on residents, animals, and the environment. People from all over the world have donated money to help with the cost of firefighting equipment, rebuilding efforts, prevention research, and more. 
The amazing part of these donations is that they're coming from a variety of individuals that are from all walks of life, from celebrities to corporations to quilters. We all know that quilters are some of the kindest, most generous people, and the following individuals are no exception. Matthew of Mr. Domestic set up an Instagram account where handmade items from various makers were auctioned off, and 100% of the proceeds were donated to help with the bushfires. The auction ran from January 8th through January 13th. In that short six-day period, Matthew raised over $24,000. It was a collective effort from all of those who participated. Makers who generously donated their items, buyers who helped raise money, and Matthew who organized the whole thing. A handful of other makers have joined in fundraising efforts on Instagram. Some have sold patterns and donated a portion or all of the proceeds. Others have auctioned off quilts and projects that they've had stored around their homes. There's no way I could have tracked down everyone who has been selling the products, but I wanted to just quickly highlight a few. Elizabeth Hartman sold her adorable koala pattern and donated all proceeds to Wires Australian Wildlife Rescue. Her efforts raised over $13,000. Giuseppe of Juicy Juice helped facilitate the auction of a quilt designed and made by Annalise of Eye Candy Quilts. Proceeds from this auction also went to Wires Australian Wildlife Rescue. Nicole of Modern Handcraft ran an auction on her Instagram page from January 10th through the 14th. Winning bidders were able to donate directly to the charity or organization of their choice. If you missed these previously mentioned auctions, don't worry. There are other groups and individuals still working on fundraising efforts that you can join in on. The Wollongong Modern Quilt Guild in Australia is collecting quilt blocks to be made into quilts to donate to families within their community who have been affected by the wildfires. This effort is ongoing, so if you want to find out how to make blocks to donate, check out the link in our show notes. You can also buy patterns from the following makers who are donating proceeds. So Fresh Quilts, So Quirky, Corinne Savay, The Frosted Pumpkin Stitchery, Penguin and Fish, and Lynette Anderson. All of these makers will be listed in our show notes. And I'm sure there are plenty that I miss, so keep your eyes peeled for on social media for other amazing patterns being sold. While doing research for the story, I came across a group called Animal Rescue Collective Craft Guild. And it seems I'm not the only one who stumbled upon this group because in about a week's time, the Facebook group gained hundreds of thousands of new followers. This group has provided patterns for sewing, knitting, and crocheting, hanging joey pouches, koala mittens, bat wraps, bird nests, and more. The response has been so overwhelming that the group has actually put a pause on crafting so they can do an inventory of all the items they have received. Even though they're asking people to stop making for a bit, I encourage you to check out their Facebook page and see all of the amazing items being made. You can see these items in use by animals in Australia affected by the fires. And really, how could seeing little kangaroos hanging in colorful handmade pouches not make you want to get involved? Even though the guild has put a pause on sewing and making, consider making donations to other groups. Donating money can be more effective and offers more flexibility than donating physical handmade items. Storage space for handmade items can become an issue, whereas money can always be spent in a variety of ways. If you are thinking of donating or holding auctions to raise money, just make sure to research the organizations before you donate. It'd be such a shame to spend your time and efforts raising money only to donate to an unreputable source. While the bushfires are on the top of everyone's mind right now, keep in mind that this is an ongoing effort to rebuild the communities affected and will take a long time to fully recover. So if you feel like you've missed the boat on the quilt auctions or pattern sales that I mentioned previously, don't worry. 
Maybe these stories will inspire you to set up your own fundraiser or just simply make a donation to an organization you care about. We're all part of an amazing community of makers who always jump in during times of need. I want to give a heartfelt thank you to all of those who have contributed in large or small ways to help our Australian friends and neighbors. Thanks so much, Allison. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. On today's interview, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Monique Jacobs of Open Gate Quilts. Monique is a longtime contributor to our magazines and has recently had a quilt in our February 2020 issue and our April 2020 issue, which comes out next week. Monique is a talented pattern designer, fabric designer with Maywood Studio, ruler manufacturer, and teacher. She's also one of the kindest and happiest people I've ever met. In this interview, Monique and I chat about how she got her start quilting, inspiration for her fabric lines, her stash-busting video series, and more. We hope you enjoyed this interview. Hi, Monique. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Hi, Lindsay. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start about telling us a little background about your life as a quilter? Well, I started quilting about, um, let's see, 30 years ago, so quite a while ago, and I um, I started teaching probably about 25 years ago, and how I started teaching was I was work- working at my local quilt store, and I look, I thought, you know what, I think I can try teaching, so the lady said, give it a shot, fell in love with teaching. And then um, about 14 years ago, I opened my own business. And the same thing happened. One of my friends said, you know, you're changing patterns, making them your own. And she said, why don't you start designing patterns? And I thought, ooh, I don't know if I can do it. But I started it and I fell in love with it. And I it has taken off from here. And like I said, I've been in business for 15 years and still going strong. Absolutely love it. Where did the name for your company come from? Good question. That actually came from my mom. I was trying to figure out what a good name was to get people to know that, you know, this is what we do and how and kind of open your arms to it. And she said, you know, Open Gate is a is a really welcoming name. And I thought, yeah, that's a great name. So she's very proud of the fact that she <laughs> named my my pa- my uh, pattern company. And also, I've always had Old English Sheepdogs. And in my logo, I have a little bit of bitty Old English Sheepdog in the gate. And that really, really is what I'm about, is open arms and come and see me and my dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so besides just being a pattern designer, you also are a fabric designer. So I wanted to talk about some of your fabrics a little bit. So you just have a new batik fabric line coming out with Maywood Studio, and it's called Coastal Getaway. So can you describe it for our listeners and give us maybe a little sneak peek at where your inspiration came from? Okay, I absolutely this is one of my favorite things to do is design fabric it is so satisfying to take it from the paper and put the colors in and actually see the quilt and actually make a quilt do the whole thing I do everything from designing it all the way to quilting and binding it so it's one of those things that I have this great satisfaction about doing and designing fabric is pretty awesome. It, it it took me a long time to figure out how to do it and my I've designed several regular print lines and the last two lines that I've done are 
coastal themed. Um, the latest one has sailboats on it and fish and uh, shells. And the first one came from my husband and I got married in San Diego three years ago. And our colors were purples and sands and, and those colors. So um, I thought this would be cool to have a fabric line like this. So that's what where that came from. And then the second line was just a continuation and again more of the purples and the blues just a little different more teals but very coordinated and it all comes together and it's so fun to do batiks because it comes out so different what's exciting about batiks is you give the batik company black and white images and when you get them back and you give them the colors when you get them back you have no idea if it's going to be blue and white or purple and yellow. They just kind of randomly choose what colors you want and they give you this huge box and you get to play with fabric to coordinate it all. So it's so much fun. It is one of my favorite things to do. Do you know where Maywood's batiks are made? I am not exactly sure where they're made. I know they're made overseas and I know they're all hand done. That's the thing with batiks. I actually um, was researching it a little bit on how they are made and it's fascinating it's super super labor intensive and I thought I'm so glad they do it because <laughs> I don't know that I would be able to do it and I can see why it's fabric is so expensive because it is a lot of work for them to do the boutiques so okay so you mentioned that you have both boutique lines and regular print lines yes. when you're designing these do you think think about them differently or how people would use them in quilts and does that affect maybe how you want those prints to come out? Absolutely. Um, designing batiks and de designing fabric is very different. Like I said with the batiks it's all black and white and they have the color scheme they don't always follow it but they give you some so that you can really make it the, the colors you want. Whereas when you're designing fabric, you have to know what colors you want. You have to be able to change the colors, have one print and have it in several colorways just to make sure that you have a complete line. And when I'm designing fabric, I actually design quilts at the same time because what happens is you'll design this whole fabric line and you'll be like, oh, this is so pretty, put it in a quilt. Well, you're missing something. Maybe you need a smaller print. Maybe you need more background. Maybe you need a, a different color to help things pop. So when I design, it's not just fabric. It's the whole process of the quilt. And I continue after I'm done, too. I don't just do my quilts at that one time. I continue to design quilts and um, I love being an American patchwork and quilting so I always try to get a quilt in there with a new fabric line and that's part of the fun as well as seeing your your quilts in print it's really cool and other people making your quilts yes that's always cool too and and some people are like do you you know when people change things and do things I'm like no I think it's an honor that people do that that it's very satisfying to, when you see someone else using your fabrics and and your patterns as well so okay so you recently launched a video course with Missouri Star Academy called stash busting with style so what are some of the biggest struggles you think people have with pulling fabric for a quilt from their stash? I think the biggest problem is that we tend to 
gravitate towards one certain color or one certain um, either a smaller prints, um, a size. So I guess the biggest pe problem people have is how do I use my stash to make one quilt and in the class I go over how to take that how to pull main prints how to pull your coordinate coordinates to go with it backgrounds how to make it so that you don't have a bunch of busy prints in a quilt and it looks really just like a big blur and you add some more um, solid looking and I go through all that in the class it was a blast to record the class and it has got a lot of good information on how it how to do that. How long were you there shooting with them? I was there for three days. I, sh I um, came in one day. The next day we did a little bit of rehearsal and then we launched right into it and then the, ne then the following day finished it up and then came home the following day. And it was, it was fun. They were awesome. We had a great time and they're very professional. It was really cool. So... Well, we'll link to it in the show notes so that everyone can check it out. Um, do you have any quick tips you can share for our listeners on uh, how to make some stash-busting quilts? Do you have, like, favorite patterns you would use to help people use their stash? One of the things that I, th I suggest is look at your stash and see what size of uh, fabric you have. So I love fat quarters. So what I'll do is I will look and say, okay, what pattern can I use using fat quarters? And you can look online. There's free patterns out there. You can go to your local quilt store, which I do a lot of. <laughs> and sometimes you might not have everything you need. So go to your quilt store and bring what you have and help let them help you. They're the experts too. They know what goes with what and they can help you and they can suggest patterns so that's what I do is I look at the patterns and sometimes I'll see a pattern and I'll think oh, I really like that what can I do with it then I'll go to my stash and start pulling and coordinating and this class will help you do that as well as looking at your stash and then picking a pattern so it gives you both options for it and I want to mention that you also sell your own tools like rulers do you want to talk a little bit about that oh yeah definitely um how i got into to making rulers is um when i was doing my patterns and doing my classes i found that the um the rulers that were out there didn't seem to work really well so having a math background i thought i can figure this out so i designed a ruler to trim so one of my main things is I oversize and trim down and that way everything fits together because the most important thing when you are quilting is the cutting because if you're off in the cutting it just escalates the more you get off the worse it gets so if you have it a little bigger trim it down it all comes together wonderfully and one of my tools um, trims quarter square triangles half square triangles flip corners lots of cool things and the other one does flying geese so um and you can check that out on my website i have all my rulers on there okay want to end the interview with some just quick fun questions so what's your favorite color of fabric to use in your quilts well recently it's been purple i used to do red a ton now i've got lots of purple in my quilts and honestly there's not many colors i don't like if you look at my quilts you'll see that so um dogs on your quilts or no well you better ask the dogs that because 
they will definitely say yes. <laughs> uh, we have two dogs. I have an Old English Sheepdog and a Border Collie Mix. And um, one time I had a stack of quilts on the couch because I was putting them away and both of them were right on top of it. So it's like, I really don't have a choice. Yeah. Yes, dogs on quilts for sure. <laughs> what about a sewing tool you could never live without? Oh, I would say probably a rotary cutter. Rotary cutters, I, I don't know how anybody does anything without a rotary cutter. Cutting is so important, like I said previously. If you cut correctly, it gives you a good foundation on starting the, your quilt. So I really find that super important. But there's a lot of cool tools in quilting. So I, it's hard to pick one, but I would say the rotary cutter is probably one of the, the best ones. What inspires your quilt designs? A lot of things to, to inspire. A lot of it comes from the fabric. So if I see a fabric line that I really like, I really work on trying to figure out how to use that fabric. And not necessarily even my fabric. I use a lot of other people's fabric as well. And if I see something that I really like, I think, how can I put that in a quilt? So the fabric is a huge part of my inspiration. So why don't we end by telling our listeners where they can find you online so they can connect with you more. Awesome. Um, my website is opengatequilts.com and I have all my rulers and patterns on there. Plus, I also have some, um, some sneak peeks on what's coming out and what I'm doing, some free patterns, all that fun stuff. And then um, on Facebook, I'm Open Gate Quilts. And every Thursday night, I do a Facebook Live. So make sure you check us out. And I do lots of giveaways and um, lots of tutorials, lots of fun stuff. And then on Instagram, and it's at, at Open Gate Quilts. I loved my conversation with Monique. She always has something new and creative going on, so make sure to visit our show notes for all the links to her website and social media accounts. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Before we leave today, I just wanted to quickly highlight a review of our podcast. This review is from Maggie Baby. She says, I just recently started quilting, and when I learn a new skill, I go all in. I've checked out books, taken classes, and now listen to this podcast. I've tried listening to others, but I truly love the layout of this podcast and all the great, useful information. I only wish I could see what they were talking about while they were talking. Probably not great for my commute. Thank you so much for tuning in each week, Maggie Baby, and how exciting that you're learning to quilt. We promise it's the most fun. So if this review is yours, please reach out to us at our email, apqpodcast at meredith.com, so that we can send you a little gift. And remember, if you love this podcast, please leave us a review. We may feature yours on an upcoming show. all and thanks for listening keep in touch american patchwork and quilting is on facebook pinterest and instagram at all people quilt email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast and if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us Have a creative week.